0: Welcome to Rocket Radio. I'm Jason Bryan and you're listening to the big interview. As we saw from our recent SMS Firewall report, the majority of the 170 plus MNOs who responded to the survey have only taken up SMS Firewall services in the last year. For the boutique specialist vendors who are focusing on SMS Firewall, this is an opportunity to show how effective monetization of SMS traffic is good for business but also just good housekeeping. In this week's big interview, I was lucky enough to interview one of the tier one vendors in our recent report, Anam Technologies. Joining me online were CTO John Murter and CCO Mr. Darcy himself. In their interview, Brian and John tell us about their secret sauce for making a leading SMS firewall. We talk about the new technology hub that Dublin has become, And what's next for Anam Technologies in 2018?
1: Yeah, I mean, what we have now, I suppose, because we have a large number of customers who have a very large number of subscribers, we're starting to get very good economies of scale. And obviously the analysis tool, we're starting to see things that are very interesting. Definitely, if managed correctly, can have an advantage for mobile operators.
0: It's a pleasure to be here with John Mutter and Brian Darcy from Anam.
1: Thanks, Jason. It's, uh, it's good to be here.
0: And thank you, Jason. You're both welcome. It's a real pleasure to meet with you guys. A few weeks ago, we announced the tier one leaders in our SMS firewall report, and this is a vendor performance report conducted with mobile network operators, where the MNOs get the chance to talk about the vendors that they like and the vendors they don't like. And we asked them around about 40 different KPIs about the vendors. Now, Anam, we're of course in the tier one, as we know from the results. But you were also the leader by quite a stretch, I have to say, in the report. What was the reaction, Brian, to this news internally?
1: I mean, obviously, we were extremely happy. You know, last year we did very well in the report. We came in as a as a Tier 1 vendor, but, you know, to make the jump this year and come in as the, the leading vendor in this space was definitely something that we were very pleased about. We certainly have put in a huge amount of hard work, determination and focus into the whole A2P space. There are a number of companies, I suppose, who would you know, buy and sell messages. There are other companies who have a fairly vast portfolio of products. Whereas with, with Anam, we've taken the decision or we took the decision a number of years ago to be very focused in terms of our A2P offering and to bring a full wrap for A2P. So we have very strong and mature technology that looks at all aspects of the network. So we look at obviously international traffic, we look at local interconnect, we look at boxes, we look at domestic traffic, and we have built up a lot of capability around that space. We've also built up a lot of capability around our analytics. So it's one thing to have a firewall, but you really do need to have a management interface that allows you to look at the traffic, see what's routing through it, and then make decisions, informed decisions to maximize the revenue. So I think to come out as the Uh, highest scoring vendor on all of those KPIs is a validation of the hard work, effort and focus we've put into this space.
0: Actually when we look at our vendor performance reports across all the different products and services that we do, it's actually rare to see a company achieve a four plus score out of five in all of these categories and to do that above all other vendors is extremely rare. So this is a really nice insight, thank you very much Brian for this. Talking about Adam, I'd like to get to know you guys a little bit better. If we can start with John. John, for those listeners who don't know you very well, I'd like to get to know you as a person a bit more. Can you tell me how you started in telecoms?
2: Actually, Jason, I uh, started over 32 years ago in my working career. And my first job was with a large equipment manufacturer called Siemens, and I was based in Germany. Um, I started immediately working as a young engineer on on their protocol signaling uh, element in their switch. At that time, the telecom industry was was an analog industry transitioning to digital. Mobile was purely car phones. And that's where I started my career on working with protocols, working on rollout digital technology in, in a purely engineering and software development
0: background. When did you realize that you wanted to get into the telecom sector?
2: Um, it was straight after college. I was fascinated with protocols. I was also very anxious to work overseas. Siemens at that time seemed like a great company. It was in Europe, in Germany. They had great technology. They had a fantastic environment for develop a person as a, an engineer, a fantastic education. That was the reason I got into telecoms. It was also a growth industry at the time. It was really, we're moving from a analog world into a digital world, you know, fixed line penetration, it was reasonably okay in Europe, but worldwide, it didn't really exist. And mobile penetration was only really in the United States and Europe with analog type technology.
0: How was the telecoms world at that time? I mean, it's rare to find somebody who's been in telecoms that long. You must have seen extreme change during the last three decades.
2: Well, I think my longevity reflects my my love of the industry and my passion for the many different phases in telecoms that I've seen. Very much 30 years ago, it was six line digital technology in ISDN, office equipment, so very much in an industrial background. At that time, mobile was still very much in the research infancy uh, as regards digital mobile. I have seen the initial rollouts of GSM networks. In fact, I've been involved with the messaging area very much in the start of the early 90s when we started to roll out uh, SMS in many the United States and Europe. Incredible. Yes, that time usage was quite, quite low. Uh, we all thought this was some crazy technology. Who would use SMS? You know, At that time, it was mainly designed for voicemail notification and machine-type notification to handsets. The whole area of P2P didn't exist at that time, and that came, actually came later. P2P really took off in the late 90s. That was through mainly two different phenomena in the market. One was the, the rollout of prepaid, and the second was the opening up the markets to second players, and third players, and fourth players, and the rollout of new licenses, which expanded the, the market quite extensively on a worldwide basis.
0: You were working with SMS at that time or when did you start to work with SMS?
2: At that time there was no SMS. You know, this is in the mid eighties. So at that time GSM networks were being launched and GSM itself had found one service called Mobile Rigidated SMS and Mobile Terminated SMS. At that stage I got involved with a Irish company here in Ireland, a company called Aldascon. They they took a bet, basically, on SMS technology being successful and the bet was correct. We rolled out SMS centers for different mobile network operators in Europe and the United States. Really, my SMS career started around 93, 94.
0: So you were there really at the birth of SMS, has to be said, because you were actually helping the MNOs to create the SMS services. Yes, yes, we did. And
2: we did it in in many markets. We actually rolled out SMS in Japan where it was japan had its own proprietary technologies they didn't use gsm we helped the japanese operators to basically build an sms on top of their own proprietary transport technologies at that time and with all this gone we also uh, looked at application access because sms was originally designed really for mobile phones to talk to each other so we invented a protocol called smpp That protocol was made open in the late 90s. I myself was instrumental in that through various forums at the time. So I got involved with Annam about 13 years ago. And at that time in Annam, we looked at more niche services in the area of mobile messaging. So one of the things that we at that time was looking at the whole control of SMS. And in Annam, we invented a technique called SMS home routing, which is also fundamental into as an element of SMS firewalls. So what SMS home routing allows, it's a a way of controlling SMS, especially terminating SMS into a network. And this provides the the routing control for firewalls to apply uh, filtering technology. That technology was rolled out about 12 years ago, initially in Malta. We also rolled it out in uh, Norway with a company called Telenor Norway. And as as we know, the big success for Telenor Norway was uh, ATP SMS monetization. It's been a fantastic story. It's our initial success. In ATP, they grew their ATP volumes within one year by a factor of 700%. It was really fantastic for anand for, for myself to see the success of great technology actually bringing benefit to our to our
0: customer. So you took a bet on this is going to grow. This telecoms, you know, this GSM technology is going to evolve. I mean, really, you don't mean very many people in this industry who really were there at the at the start. So it's really fascinating to hear your perspective on it from uh, from those days. So thank you, John, for your insights. Brian, how did you decide that telecoms was going to be your future?
1: So I suppose like like lots of things and lots of people's careers, I probably at the very start kind of fell into the industry. There was a, a colleague of mine who had a agency for the mobile operators at the time selling phones to corporate customers he asked me to go in and run that business. It's a small business. As you said earlier, a very exciting business, huge growth, huge opportunity, and very much a buzz industry. So I got hooked on the whole thing quite early. From there I went on and I was founder of the first MVNO in Ireland. So I suppose my sights grew in terms of selling phones to getting more involved in trying to sell the airtime.
0: Uh, so, so how did that happen then? You founded an MVNO?
1: Yeah, it was, it was one of the first MVNOs in, in Europe what we did as part of the agency is we had a very large rental fleet of uh, mobile phones so this is when mobile phone maybe was two thousand pounds at the time to buy one A lot of companies didn't want to spend that money so what they would do is they would rent a phone from us for a a short period of time and they would pay us on a daily basis for the phone rental and for the minutes so what i did was i negotiated a deal with the mobile operator that the more minutes i sold the higher the discount they gave me off my bill up to would you believe a a 40 percent discount so the incentive for me was to get as many people using my phones as possible so i put together a, a package for most of the corporate companies in Ireland where they could manage service, they could hand over the management of their mobile phones to us, we provided the phones for free, and we build them on a monthly basis. That was quite interesting, it was quite innovative, it was kind of ahead of its time, and it was definitely a, a big eye-opener for me as quite a young guy in my career.
0: You must have had a very <laughs> strong network that you knew from the industry.
1: Um, you know, and it's a theme that has kind of followed me through. You have to have a proposition that is good for your customer. And if the proposition makes sense to your customer, then the likelihood of success goes up exponentially. (laughs) Uh, And we had a very good customer base and we put together a very good package. So from there, I moved into different things, but always kind of involved with mobile operators, never working for a mobile operator, but always kind of working close by. And it always intrigued me because operators would do certain things and I could never understand the logic behind why they would do them. So in early 2005, 2006, I joined Telefonica O2 Ireland as the commercial director of their innovation section was quite an interesting role. We went in at the time of uh, operator revenues revenue started to decline at that stage. And there was a big move on to support new opportunities that could replace the declining revenues. One of the spaces that I looked at was the whole area of HPSMS. SMS. Anam was an existing vendor into O2 and obviously an Irish company located pretty close to our offices. So I started to work with Anam around the whole idea of could we make some money out of H2P? Was there money in h p this was back in 2010, 2011, and the whole ATP space within the operator community was pretty much an unknown. So we put in the solution, the technology went in, and I started to work around the kind of the business logic or the methodology that I talked about earlier to really maximize the revenue. The net result from that was that within a couple of months, we were generating significant revenue. I mean, on an annual basis, we were into the, into the millions of euros, and it all happened so quick, and it, it all seemed to happen so easy. I had been looking at a number of products at the time while billing, charge to mobile, different things like that. And they were difficult. They were hard. They were a bit of a slog. Whereas a p and monetizing a p seemed to be so much quicker. So I talked to my colleagues within the industry, within the mobile community, and quickly realized that not a lot of people were looking at this space. So to cut to the chase, I talked to Annam, they talked to me, and I ended up joining the company as the chief commercial officer. That was uh, just over three years ago. So since then, I suppose I've been uh, very much involved in ATP and uh, seeing how the market has developed. And I suppose seeing how Anam has developed. uh, And definitely it's a move that I'm uh, I'm, I'm very happy with.
0: No, it's very interesting to see it from that perspective, actually. O2 Telefonica Ireland must have been one of the first who really monetized ATP SMS then.
1: It was. I mean, you know, there might have been a, f- a few. I mean, John mentioned that Anam had deployed a solution into town in Norway in 2007. But I got a feeling at the time that we were first because a lot of global aggregators came to me and said, what have you guys done and how did you do that? And, you know, the aggregators wanted to see more of that because if you had a legitimate direct connection under contract to a network, It only had value if that network was protected. So the aggregators actually validated my opinion that there was a lot of money to be made here. And I suppose we
0: were one of the first in Europe For me, it's really interesting to meet people who have started businesses or got involved in businesses which are organically coming up with solutions, you know, this is not something that somebody else created and you thought, I'm going to start a business doing what they do. This is something that comes organically from learning and finding situations and solving problems. And I think that's, it's reassuring and it's also probably the reason why MNOs trust such a company because you're really passionate about this topic and trying to solve some of the issues.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, we've lived it. I mean, I suppose from John's introduction on the technology side, he's seen the whole space evolve. You know, me in terms of, I suppose my role is on the commercial side with a focus on revenue, both our revenue and our customers' revenue. have kind of seen how it's evolved. So we very much, you know, we, every time we deploy a new network, we refine our product, we get better at what we do. So I, I think having that specialist expertise has definitely helped us with our operator customers.
0: It's really interesting for me because when I started in telecoms, actually, I started working on something called SMS interworking back in the day. And I was I was also working in O2, but O2 UK. And for me, it was a new business. So when I started to learn about SMS, it seemed like from a firewall perspective, there were so many acronyms and special terms used for different kind of fraudulent events, let's say. When I think about some of the acronyms, you know, phishing, smishing, spoofing, faking, flooding, these are obviously terms you're familiar with. And what I'm interested to know is around these kind of security threats. How is that evolving? What is the latest trend in this area? Is there something new for MNOs to be concerned with?
2: Uh, Well, actually, you know, all those things that you mentioned, uh, Jason, you know, they're they're well-documented. Most firewalls can countermeasure those particular threats today. So that's been good for the industry. In addition to making SMS, you know, SMS had a great property of being reliable, you know, absolutely 100% delivery and its open rate. It did suffer from all those types of vulnerabilities that you mentioned, but all those have been ironed out and most firewall vendors today would counteract those threats. So this has resulted in SMS. It, it's been a clean channel for delivery of ATP SMS. It's a trusted channel. Of course, attacks or fraud is always evolving. And we have seen this, especially in regard to spam and ATP SMS in that the techniques used have evolved where, especially in the case of ATP SMS, the technique tries to make it look like PTP SMS as much as possible and tries to basically disguise What's an ATP as a P2P. That's really where we're currently at is the evolution of firewalls in this area, being able to learn, certainly with, with the Anum firewall, we've uh, implemented a method called machine learning, which allows firewall to distinguish ATP from from P2P. But as Brian mentioned, a firewall you know, on its own is just not enough. The system or a a well-protected network does require some form of back-end analytics, which helps to drive up the rule sets for firewalls, keep it constantly evolving. And that's where we believe the industry has to move. It's an ongoing management of firewalls, which makes the networks protected.
0: Is there much activity, John, from the the GSM Association in this space, in kind of looking at these new trends, um, or is it basically the vendors who are identifying these issues and independently resolving them?
2: Yes, the GSMA has it, its own fraud and security group where ATP SMS is one of the topics, and they encourage the industry through education, through guidelines for fracking all the latest attacks. There is definitely a sharing experience in the GSMA. Our vendors and service providers and aggregators and operators, and Annam has been part of that.
0: You're really in a position to understand what might be evolving and to deal with it at the beginning before it gets out of hand?
1: Yeah, I mean, what we have now, I suppose, because we have a large number of customers who have a very large number of subscribers, we're starting to get very good economies of scale. And obviously the analysis tool, we're starting to see things that are very interesting, definitely if managed correctly can have an advantage for mobile operators so what we do is as we kind of collectively learn within the team that knowledge is is shared amongst the entire team and therefore it's applied to all our all our existing customers in whatever region in the world they might be in within the company we're at a place now where we can develop our own learning but but we also do participate in the fraud and security group and we do share knowledge now obviously You know, some of it has has commercial value, but we do believe in participating in the industry and and contributing to the industry.
2: What we're actually doing is sharing our experiences and our methods. We do share experiences in this area. We do contribute to the attack countermeasures, but there's many things that a vendor has to do in order to protect the, the network. And we do that through a combination of technology mixed with databases and mixed with management. That's our secret sauce or formula for protecting that. We actually believe every network should adopt this combination. It makes the industry better. You know, ATP can't succeed in one operator in a country. It has to succeed in all operators to maximize the value of the
0: industry. It seems like that specialists like Anam are really in a position to, to help instruct the industry what is happening and where the direction is going in terms of SMS uh, security. But beyond A2P SMS, as we know it, as let's say the leader in mobile engagement, which we're really effectively we're talking about, monetization for m of mobile engagement services that they have towards enterprise customers. Yes. Mobile engagement is continuing to evolve, of course, We know of the initiative of RCS, which has been, of course, in the GSMA a long time, but has recently been resuscitated by Google. And we know of the keen interest on bots and on OTT integration and other areas. What do you think about all of these different trends in mobile engagement?
2: Well, I think it's fantastic for an industry because mobile engagement is really bringing enterprise to consumers. So It's driven by consumerism and the digital age where enterprise needs contactivity often needs to be immediate with their consumers. The whole area of interactivity allows it to become more engaging on behalf of the enterprise and on behalf of the consumer. As we know today, HPSMS as a one-way service is absolutely excellent for one-time vacations or one-time passwords. It is fantastic. It's reliable. It, it also has two-way capability. but that involves the use of reply paths, involves the use of short codes or long numbers, virtual numbers, and it's a bit, a bit more complex to set up in terms of technology, in terms of number assignment and cross-network experience. This is where we see RCS really making a real value add in that it introduced the whole area of, of, of interactive in a very, very simple way. The way I think about RCS, it's like um, black and white TV going to color TV with your interactive red button. So it just makes it much easier for the consumer to in, to interact with the brand.
1: I agree with all that in, in terms of what John has said. One of the things which, though, I think we need to be uh, cognizant of is SMS is simple. It's ubiquitous it works as john said it's got almost 100% read rate and just while while some of these new technologies are you know fantastic user experience there are a number of things that you know need need to be got right first so there's a whole commercial model around rcs is still unknown there are a number of things in terms of you know can enterprise reach all their customers through rcs will all mobile operators enable rcs i think the industry has kind of pondered and debated this now for some time you know the whole thing is in danger if it doesn't move quickly that it will lose whatever momentum it has and simply become a talking shop hpsms is enjoying phenomenal growth and it is enjoying that growth because of its simplicity both in its price model in its in the results that it achieves and everyone understands how it works any product that's going to replace it needs to have similar simplicity
0: i would find it very hard for another solution to come along and really be so familiar to people of all ages you know my parents they find technology quite a struggle but they can use sms no problem it's very simple exactly
1: and whatever replaces it has to be as simple as that
0: yeah,
2: that's my viewpoint. The RCS experience really has to be a, a seamless evolution of SMS. Obviously, some handset vendors won't support it, not in the immediate future. So it has to be sort of a seamless additive to SMS to allow it to grow. And it should be used for its benefits, um, which I see as mainly in interactivity and chatbots. Brian also mentioned a very important point. I think this is really key for the industry. It's a billing model. There has to be a billing model for ATP over RCS. There's two reasons for that. It's to basically give the operators a return on their investment, but it's also to keep the channel clean. And anything that's free will just have spam. It's been proven the world over, seen with email or other forms of internet communication. It has to have a, a very simple billing model as well. It, it has to be simple for everybody. The mobile operators, the aggregators, the advertisers, the brands has to have a very simple billing model that people can work with and grow the industry.
0: So beyond SMS, all these different technologies and evolutions in mobile engagement, I guess they all need some kind of firewall. They need some kind of, of protection solutions. I mean, this year we're talking about HTP SMS firewalls, but it could be in two or three years' time we're talking about something for RCS.
2: I'm sure you'll be doing a, a RCS firewall <laughs> survey in three years' time. The industry itself really has a takeoff. You know, of course, it's, it's going to be directly competitive to the OTTs in the P2P space. In the A2P space, it still needs to reach a critical mass and we think that will happen in the United States first. That's where we see most interest. And once it's taken off, then it will need the protection. And that's why I think you may be doing this survey in three years' time.
0: Well, we look forward to that eventuality when we see what new trends are coming through in mobile engagement. So. Well, it certainly seems like Irish companies or Ireland is a great place to start business. Dublin seems to be becoming a telecoms hub in a way. We know Verizon moved there several years ago. Of course, Google are in Dublin too. Why is it a good place for uh, companies to, to move to?
1: I think Ireland is is well-placed globally for uh, companies to set up business here. I mean, as a company ourselves who trade globally, I mean, one of the advantages is that it's in the middle between Asia and America and South America. So if you're doing conference calls or flying, it's actually in the middle between kind of um, most of the world. That's definitely an advantage. The other is it's soon to be the only English-speaking country in the eurozone. You know, for U.S. companies, that's an important thing. I think also we, as a country, we have developed our infrastructure substantially over the last number of years. We have a fantastic airport, yeah, telecoms within the country, you know, broadband connectivity, but certainly within the city, is very good. And you know, it is an easy place to do business. What also happens, I think, when companies come in, um, it's almost like success breeds success. You know, once you get the Googles and the Facebooks and the LinkedIn. Uh, coming here and the Verizons, it starts to create, I suppose, a wave or momentum. And for an Irish company trading globally, that momentum has been fantastic for us. One of the benefits is we've been able to hire uh, people who are from different countries, speak different languages, you know, are highly educated, and they're all living here in, in Dublin. And to have access to that kind of talent has definitely been a big advantage to us as a company trading globally. In terms of growth, I heard just the other day that at the moment there are 45,000 desk spaces, in, I suppose, within a business being built. So there's this huge expansion and more companies are coming here all the time. I also think the Irish culture maybe helps. We hosted a WAS 4 uh, last year and the attendance to that was one of the biggest ever. Now there's a few reasons for that. Probably that you know we're in Europe, so it's easy for Europeans and Americans to come in. Um, but I think people like to come to Dublin for the fun, you know, as people say, for the crack, and just a, a good place to be.
0: Well, I was there myself, and it was an excellently presented WAS meeting. Certainly uh, the best so far, I think. So, congratulations on that. So, I would like to get back to the main topic of this podcast, which is around the SMS firewall services. And clearly, what was interesting for us, particularly, was participation from MNOs seemed to suggest that. Half of the MNOs had only recently taken SMS firewall services. You see a, a lot of growth in this space happening right now?
1: There was a survey done last year by Dialog, a global aggregator, uh, since bought by CLX. But the survey was done. They tested mobile operators to see who had grey routes and who was secure. And a pretty comprehensive test. There was well over 100 operators involved. And at that point, over 75% of operators had, uh, had grey route traffic terminating on their network. I think that was last August, things have changed quite substantially. I mean, it's gone from having to explain what an ATP message is to now, you know, getting straight into the hard detail of what's the service, what's the functionality, what are the commercials, what can you deliver, what's the business case and moving through to, a, you know, setting up a service, and making it live. The whole speed to market has moved much faster. And I think there is a wave within the mobile operator community that the whole HP thing is a very clear revenue opportunity, but also it's good housekeeping. Why would you have an asset and not charge for that asset? We're seeing a lot more activity. I mean, our pipeline um, has increased exponentially, but also the number of contracts that are being closed is increasing at a strong pace. And as a result, as a company, from a staff perspective, we are growing quite a lot. Look, in the office, there's new people coming in almost on a weekly basis.
0: So it leads me to my last question for you guys, and that's around what next? What has Anam got planned for 2018 or the coming years? What's in your strategic plan? Well, on the
2: solution side, we will be focusing on our analytics element as part of the overall solution set. So we're working on having more real-time analytics with a high level of automation, leveraging machine learning that allows us to get more real-time, our customers get more real-time insight on great traffic, spam traffic with better real-time decision-making. That's where we see the industry going. We also, as you may refer to, some networks don't have SMS firewalls or have SMS firewalls from other vendors. So we're looking at integrating our analytics element with other firewalls, with traffic interfaces. So having a sort of a light firewall solution to those customers who m- makes it m- more economical sense. Next year is also the year of GDPR compliance, which is a data privacy regulation that's going to be mandated throughout the European Union. We have some small things to do to ensure that our customers are compliant to GDPR. In addition to SMS firewalls, we've been working quite extensively on signaling security for other areas beyond SMS. We have a signaling firewall product on the market and we're enhancing that to cover the next generation signaling technologies such as diameter, SIP and 5G signaling, we're building up our security threat database that's continually evolving. We're bringing that into a more packaged and a more distributed uh, product as part of our solution.
1: But I think overall, we now have kind of uh, developed a formula that has allowed us to grow quite significantly. So it's very much hold true to that formula, that strategy, that plan. Obviously, continually refine our product find our methodology you know keep a very strong focus on our customers what they're looking for what they need develop our people i mean in this business people and their knowledge is is a major part of it Uh, training for our people um, and we're very careful in terms of the people that we recruit to work with our channel partners i mean we have a we have a very strong global uh, channel partners that we've had some very good success with so it's to continue to support and work with them and, and develop out how we can support them even more customer acquisition, develop our technology. It's do what we're doing, but continually uh, refine it and make all aspects better. It's one thing to be be recognized as a leader in the space. It's a whole different thing to retain that position. And that's something that we very much would like to do. And and we will be working hard to uh, maintain that place.
0: That's fantastic. And I have to agree that I think this space constantly needs innovation and demands a constant evolution. So with that, guys, I would like to thank you very much for your time today. It's been an excellent interview. Thank you, Brian and John. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, Jason. And I've no doubt we'll be speaking to each other very soon in 2018. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Look out for more in the big interview series in the coming weeks. If you're an MO or vendor, you might like to know what Rocco is up to next. Download our catalogue to see what reports we have in store for 2018. Also, for the m and out there, there's no better time to talk about who you think are the leading vendors in innovation. Simply go online, select Research Projects, and give us an insight or two to help us help you shape the industry in 2018. Until next time, this is Jason Byrne, and you've been listening to The Big Interview from Rocco Radio.